There's a lot of confusion today in our world about what is a man, you know. There's a lot of uh, discussion about gender differences and all this kind of stuff in today's world. But I want to tell you, when Jesus was arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin, then taken before Pilate, then to Herod, then to Pilate again, and then Pilate ordered him to be whipped and beaten almost to death. And then the Bible says that... uh, Pilate brought Jesus out and stood him before the crowd of jeering people, and he simply said, Behold the man, the man. It's a definite article there, not just a man. This is the man. And I want to tell you, if we want to be men of God, then uh, Jesus is really our example. He's our model. Now, we're not saved by trying to follow his example But we're instructed by his example. We're told that as men, there are certain things that we should should strive for. And so when you think of a man today, if you ask somebody, you know, what what is a a manly man? Well, a lot of them think of the Marlboro man, you know, smoking a cigarette and uh, looking tough and rough and all this kind of stuff. And and, uh, or they think of Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or... uh, Somebody like that, a uh, rough, tough. Well, there's nothing wrong with uh, with. Well, I won't say there's nothing wrong with smoking cigarettes, but uh, there's nothing wrong with being a tough, rough uh, guy. Uh, uh, Brother Joe back here, about as tough and rough a guy as I know. He's a uh, he. <clears throat> he'd fall right into that category of uh, uh, Brock busting, uh, bull riding, uh, all kinds of stuff. But uh, that doesn't. That's not what makes a man a man. In fact, that might. Uh, Keep a man down for a while from time to time. But uh, there are other men who uh, are just as manly, but they are not uh, rough and tough. Uh, They like to cook, (laughs) and they're sensitive, and they like to uh, arrange flowers. I don't do that, but I do like to cook, and and, uh, they're sensitive, and and, uh, they're they're just as much a man. So what makes a man... A man. Well, it's not any of those external things. It's that internal concept of knowing that I seek the Lord. I want to be a man after God's own heart, the way David was. Now, David was both tough, rough, and sensitive, and artistic, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, but but to be a man of God is quite a calling, isn't it? to be a man of God. And so I just want to share uh, uh, two passages with you. I was going, My sermon today is very short, but I want to share two passages with you, one out of the Old Testament, one out of the New Testament, that talks about what God wants from men. And uh, uh, in Micah chapter 6, verse uh, 6, Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord? What am I going to bring to God and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Am I going to bring sacrifices? Is that what God wants for me? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I... Give my firstborn for my transgression? Should I, uh, you know, there were people in, in 
biblical days who actually offered their own children as a sacrifice to try to appease their God. So it says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then Micah 6, 8 answers that question. God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is it that God wants from us as men? And he mentions three things. And by the way, this is a verse that has been kind of a life verse for me. As I've looked back over the years and early in my ministry, even when I was in college, uh, before I was ever married, I was introduced to this verse. And I said, this is the, these are the three things that I'd really like to be known for. I have three things that I would love to have on my epitaph when I died. Uh, obviously, I guess the only time you have an epitaph isn't it? it's when you die. But, uh, but this became kind of a, a, a goal for my life. And I'd just like to challenge all of us. I certainly hadn't met it. I hadn't measured up to it uh, at all times. But it, it should be for all of us men. It says, what does God want from you? What does God require from you? And then he says, he's told you. And here it is. One, to do justice. To do justice. To love kindness or mercy. It's the Hebrew word for covenant mercy, covenant kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Those are the three things that God says, this old man, this is what I want for you. One is to do justice. Now, in the Bible, justice has to do with just doing what's right for other people. Doing what's right. And not leveraging your power or your strength or your finances or your position to take advantage of other people or to give advantage to you. And so justice in the Bible, uh, usually in the prophets especially, it's talking about in reference to strong people using their strength to lift weaker people rather than injustice, which the strong people use to take advantage of those who are weaker. And I would say to us men, we live in a society where it is almost uh, epidemic for strong to take advantage of the weak. And we just don't do that. We're not to do that. That's uh, especially in the home. You know, in, in the home, generally speaking, men, by their position and by their physique even, they are stronger than their wife and they're stronger than their children. I know there are some of you might say, no, well, wait a minute, in my home it's different. My wife could whip me in a minute. But, uh, but as a general rule... The man, God has given the man greater strength and greater position, but not so that he can take advantage of his wife, but so he can serve his wife. So he can actually leverage that strength to be her protector, her provider, and her leader, and her helper. And... Uh, I know there are a lot of people today who are really pushing this idea. Well, we don't want to, we want all the genders, all the sexes to be equal and everything like that. Well, that's just not what you find in the Bible. Yes, in Christ, 
We are equal as far as our status, our, our, our value, but God has said to men the right thing for you to do in your home is to lay down your life to serve and to love, to protect your wife. So, men, you want to just, what, what does God require? What does God want for me to do the right thing in my home? For me to do the right thing in my relationships, to do the right thing with my children, to do the right thing in my job, to do the right thing in my community, God wants me to do right. That's what justice is. It involves more than that, obviously, but that is the main thing. We had a saying growing up with our kids, we'd say, you know, it's always right to do right. It's always right to do right. So I'll show you just how profound I was, you know, as a teacher. And uh, it is always wrong to do wrong. So it is never right to do wrong. And it is never wrong to do right. See, we could just drive that in the ground, couldn't we? But, uh, uh, but sometimes you just need those kinds of emphases to say to people, you have certain positions, certain relationships, and in those relationships, you're going to be faced with the opportunity to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. And God says, here's what I require of you, O man, that you do justice. You do the right thing. And then to love mercy. To love mercy. And I see this as having... A double meaning here. One, to love the mercy that God has shown to us. To delight in. To, to just, this is the basis for our worship. Is to say, God, you have been so good to me. It's his goodness that actually brought us to repentance. It's not his, his harshness. It's not his uh, uh, law that brings us to repentance. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that actually draws our heart to love him and to turn from our sin. And so to, uh, to love mercy, to love his mercy. Boy, I tell you, just so many times, I'll just be praying, I'll just be thinking, a lot of times when I'm walking my dog, I'm just thinking about God's mercy on me. And that if God had dealt with me according to justice only, I would not even be here. But God did the right thing in bruising His own Son in my place. God is not unjust. God is both the just and the justifier of those who are sinners. He is just in that he punished and paid for my sin. But he didn't exact it from me. But he took him who knew no sin and made him sin for me in order that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 
And so I love, I delight in mercy. But I not only delight in receiving it, I want to delight in showing it. God pours it in so that I might become a conduit or a channel through which it can be poured out. So to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. And by the way, when we do justice and we love mercy, it's hard to walk arrogantly before God. One thing, one place I found that nobody struts. Now you can strut in the pulpit. You can strut in the classroom. You can strut almost anywhere. But I tell you what, when you get alone with a holy God, you don't strut. You just bow and you worship and you walk humbly with your God. So that's an Old Testament passage that says to me and to all of us men, of course it's speaking to the women too. I know when it says, oh man, it means mankind, but this is Father's Day, so I'm just applying it to the men especially. But what does God require of you, old man? Do justice. Leverage your strength and your position for the benefit of others, not for your advantage, and then love mercy or love kindness, love covenant mercy, and to walk humbly before God. And then in the New Testament, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. And it says, he's actually speaking to men. This is at the end of the Corinthian letter. The Corinthian church was Paul's uh, most difficult church. You talk about a bunch of people who needed grace and had received grace and still needed more grace. That was Corinth and us, all, all, all of us. But the Corinthian church, they just had problem after problem after problem after problem. And yet at the end of this letter, God, I think, is speaking to the men in the church. And he says, verse 13 and 14, be watchful, be on guard, keep your eyes open, pay attention. And I tell you, in our world today, if we're not watchful, we just get side, uh, what's the word, when you get hit from blindsided. We get blindsided. And, uh, and we're just constantly having things that draw us here and there and take our attention. And we need to be alert Stay focused. Keep, be watchful. And then stand firm in the faith. We have to know the truth, believe the truth, and refuse to be moved off of the truth. Because the the faith, again, it's a definite article here, stand firm in the faith. That is the truth of the doctrine that has been delivered to you. Not just having faith, but standing in the truth of the faith. Believing 
that God's word is true. Believing that Jesus Christ is indeed God come in the flesh. Believing that he died on a cross and took our sin upon himself, that he was buried and he rose again from the dead, victoriously defeating sin, death, and the grave, and that someday he's coming again. Those five basic things, you can say, make up the faith. A lot of other things, too, but those five things are cardinal. The verbal inspiration of God's Word, that is the truth, God's Word is true, the virgin birth of Jesus, start them all with the letter V, so easy to remember. Verbal inspiration, the virgin birth, that is that Jesus Christ was not born of, he was not the son of a man. He was, in fact, the miracle son of God. And then the vicarious death of Jesus on the cross. Vicarious means doing something in somebody else's place. That Jesus died for us, then the victorious resurrection, and then the visible return of Jesus. Those five cardinal doctrines you stand on. And there can be some give and take on some things. You know, I have friends of mine who are Presbyterian and they baptize babies. And I say, well, that's your business. That's fine. Uh, That's not one of the cardinal issues. I have friends of mine uh, who... uh, Take the Lord's Supper in a different way than I do. And I say, well, that's not a cardinal issue. I may disagree with you. I have friends who have other opinions about other things. But when it comes to these issues, I stand firm in the faith. I will not budge on truth. So be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Act like men. Again, that's not Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of man. It means a man who is courageous. He will not yield. He will not, uh, will not give up on truth, but he will not use his strength to hurt or harm those who are weak or those who are under him. So be strong, be, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and then be strong. Be strong. And actually, the Greek here says be strengthened. It's not, a, it's not saying be strong as much as say be made strong. Be strengthened. It's passive. So the idea is that I am to be receiving God's strength. You ever feel weak, men? Do you ever feel like, man, there's just more demands on me than I can bear? I just don't have the strength. There are times that I have felt like I just don't have the strength. And God says, you be strong in the strength that the Lord provides. He has the strength. I heard of a little boy that was trying to move a rock, and it was a pretty good-sized boulder, and his dad was there watching him, and, and the little boy was tugging and pushing, and the father said uh, Son, you're not using all the strength that's available to you. So the little boy grunted and strained and pushed even harder. He said, Son, you're not using all the strength that's available to you. And he pushed harder and harder until he finally began to cry. 
And he said, Daddy, I just don't have any more strength. He said, Son, you're not using the strength that is available to you. He said, I'm here with you. And all you need to do is say, Dad, help me. And I can move that rock. And when I heard that story, I thought there's so many times that I've just pushed and tried so hard. And it's like God is saying, hey, you're not using all the strength that's available to you. And I'll try harder. And God says, no, I have strength. There's nothing too hard for me. So be strong, be strengthened. And then finally, let all that you do be done in love. That's to motivate all that we do. 1 Corinthians 13, kind of love. God's kind of love. I do everything I do. I want everything I do to be done in love. We were studying our Sunday school class this morning about putting on all the, the garments of kindness and, and uh, compassion and forbearance and forgiveness and all this kind of stuff. And then the verse that we'll look at next Sunday, this is kind of a spoiler here, is uh, it says, and finally, above all, put on love, which binds everything together. That's what holds it all together. And so what I do, whether I'm following Micah 6, 8, or 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, I'm saying I want everything I do to be done in the motivation of and the demonstration of God's kind of love. And again, how do we do that? We do that by receiving what He has done. I, I, don't, I don't look at this and say, okay, Here's my list. Okay, I've got to do right, and I've got to, I've got to love mercy, and I've got to, to, to walk humbly before God, and I've got to be watchful and stand firm and be a man and be strong. I don't look at that and say, okay, this is my, this is my list. No, I look at it, and I say, this is more than I can do. I can't do these things. But God, through indwelling in me, can produce all of these things. And our life, though, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And you abide in me, and my life will flow into that branch. And produce fruit. Fruit I can't produce. It's his fruit. But he produces that fruit by his life in me. And so our greatest prayer as Christians is that of surrender and say, I just want Jesus to live in me. Say, how can I live for Jesus? By letting him live in me. Then his life becomes my life. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have called us as men 
to be men, that you have equipped us, provided us strength, you've provided us a position, you've provided us a place, you've provided us uh, all that we need to be your men. And you have called us to be protectors and providers and examples and mentors and disciplers, all of those things that you have called us to be. And when I look at all of those and the idea of uh, even these passages that I've looked at today, it's just almost fearful to think, how can I do those things? But to know that you have never commanded of us anything that you yourself will not graciously provide the strength to do. So help us to depend on you, trust in you, and let your life flow through us so that we can indeed be living for Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.